Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. You are now listening to Season 7 of the show. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Kane. Dan is the founder of The O-Shape Lawyer, an organization existing to make the legal profession better for those who are in it, for those who use it, and for those who are entering it. Dan was previously an associate at Decker LLP, specializing in commercial dispute resolution. He then moved to Network Rail as a senior legal counsel, program manager, and general counsel. Dan was one of the legal business magazine's in-house rising stars in 2014 and was shortlisted GC of the Year at the Lawyer Awards in 2019. Dan is known to moderate high-profile GC events such as Reuters Legal Leaders and many more. In addition, Dan's O-Shaped was recently highly commended in the talent and inclusion category at the Lawyer Awards 2022. So a very warm welcome, Dan. Well, thanks, Rob. Nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah, you can thank me for the introduction later. Before we dive into all your amazing projects, experiences, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast. It's a very serious one. On the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality of the law if you've seen it on the scale of one to 10? So I haven't seen it. I know about it, but I haven't seen it. I'm more of an LA law type generation so i'm going to just sit on the fence can i sit on the fence rob in a classic legal response it depends i'll give you a five yeah that is the best legal response it depends and we will accept it and we'll move swiftly on to talk all about you because i gave a very sort of general overview in the introduction but i'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and career journey yeah, of course, with pleasure. Um, but it goes back probably longer now than I wish to share. It's more than 25 years or so since I was starting out. And, I, you know, I studied law at Leeds University. I went and at Store Street, people may remember the College of Law as it was, and did the LPC. And, you know, and that LPC is interesting. I think back to that now, a lot of the work we're doing with OSHAPE with law schools, it still remains very relevant what I was doing then. And that can show you some of the kind of thoughts we'll, we'll come on to in terms of what's law school like now compared to what it was 25 years ago, arguably not that much different. Um, I qualified at DECA, having spent a couple of years training there. And then I moved into house after seven or so years to Network Rail, where I was, as you said, went through the different roles, worked my up to general counsel via a year outside the legal team and spent seven years as a GC before leaving last April. And here I am now exclusively focused on O'Shapedon. Genuinely, although I've loved my career, I'm probably at the happiest point of it. Great. And that's what we love to hear. And that's what this whole show is about, is sort of entertaining, inspiring and trying to get more happiness. And my own personal mission for the legal community is that. So I want to unpack a few of those um, those moves and pick out some some wisdom along the way. So you were a senior associate at Decker before up until you, you left as part of that commercial dispute resolution practice. Give people an idea of some of the types of cases you'd work on in that type of environment for maybe people thinking about US law firm. Yeah, I spent a huge amount of time on uh, one particular massive piece of litigation. And that lasted probably from my point of shortly after qualification Probably about three and a half years, I was working 80% of my time on one major transaction, one major piece of litigation. And in some respects, that's amazing. And if you're going to be in big law, being able to have that kind of experience on one of these top 10 trials of the year type cases seems like amazing. And I imagine, so here's me going back to your first icebreaker question. I imagine that's a bit what like, you know, suits my, that top 10 bit of litigation. I imagine it's probably different for a junior lawyer where I was doing a lot of bundling at the time. But the reality is when you're spending so much time on one particularly big piece of litigation, 
I think you're missing out on quite a lot of other stuff, is my genuine thought. And when that litigation finished and the year after, I was kind of lost a bit because I've been so used to working on that high profile thing. It was one of the biggest money spinners for the firm in terms of revenue. And I went from kind of hero to zero quite quickly. And I never really found my footing after that. Um, did lots of lift different bits of commercial litigation. Nothing ever as chunky as that. And eventually it came to a point where I knew I was a square peg in a round hole and had to do something different. And you know, honestly, I look back with lots of joy over that period, but I knew it was the right time to move when I was, what, five or six years qualified. Yeah, no, and it's it's good that you share that because I think it's important that, you know, some people might be super attracted by that headline trial, but equally, you know, some people might want a bit more variety or chance to get some other experiences. So, so thanks for sharing that. But then, as I mentioned in intro and we've touched on, you then moved to Network Rail as a senior legal counsel. I'm curious, tell us more about Network Rail as a, as a company and, and your role as a, a sort of senior legal counsel, and we'll come on to your latter roles later. It's a fascinating business. You know, when I joined, there must have been 35,000 or so people working there, looking after the infrastructure of the rail, whether it's stations, whether it's the railway itself, whether it's all of the, uh, anything that goes on around the railway, the signaling, et cetera. It's massive, right? It's huge. So many people, so much infrastructure. The numbers that you talk when you're talking about buying stuff, add on another zero and then another couple of zeros and you might start getting close. So it's really interesting in terms of what you're dealing with massively unknown in terms of the outer world that look at the railway. And unfortunately now, you know, when this is going to be going out, the railway is going through a pretty tough time, whether it's strikes, whether or not it's people suffering from all sorts of delays. It was an easy target. But what I saw were a lot of people in that organization who were passionate about doing something that was a public service and doing it well. And I think the challenge with an organization that's got such a difficult reputation in the wider world, like the railway has, is it belies the brilliance that goes on from some of the people. And I think that's such a shame that people don't get enough recognition for some of the hard work they do. I'm not talking about the lawyers necessarily. I mean leaders within that business. Because all we get are people pilloried in the press constantly. Some of it fair, but other not. But as a business, it was fascinating. Um, And, you know, I was there 15 years, which tells you a thing or two about how interesting it was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, clearly, and you know, you you evolved, you, you progressed, and you know, that's a great story in itself. But yeah, let's talk about some of those projects because I mean, you're involved in a variety of issues. Can you know discuss your involvement with I don't know, Crossrail, Great Western Electrification, Northern Hub Project? Just just tell us some about those experiences. So some of it was from the perspective of doing the day to day stuff. Uh, others were when I was starting leading a team that were doing the day to day stuff. But these things that you're describing are major infrastructure projects that everyone knows about. So we talk about high profile stuff. It's there. It's real. And you're working on that. And in house, the beauty is there isn't that one massive piece of work you're doing. You're doing all of those things. And that's what people don't necessarily understand when you go in house you're not spending 100% of the time exclusively on one of those big projects. That's one of a number of things that you are involved in. And that means that you're doing all sorts of the work around it. Again, not just one legal discipline around something like Crossrail. I mean, people will be familiar with that because of the delays it had to coming in uh, and now the impact it's having and it's open. But the reality is that it's not just the transactional stuff you're doing. It's, there's all of the other issues around, the disputes around, the planning side around, there's a bit of everything. And for some people, they love it because of the variety of legal discipline. For others, it's massively outside a comfort zone that you've been built up to in your training and development 
in private practice in particular. So Dan, you are also a programme manager at Network Rail. You're seconded, I believe, to the programme team. What was your experience like going on secondment? Tell us more about that role. I think it's worth knowing that the in-house world is often quite a flat structure. So it's really important to think about how do you take the next step, whatever that next step is in your career, to be really be thinking about, do I want to be the next general counsel? Do I want to be a head of legal? And because it's often so flat that people's careers aren't linear, right? You have to think about, can I take a step sideways in order to move up? And that was part of my thinking when it came to taking the secondment. I'd had a lot going on in my life at the time as well, personally, and I wanted to change what I was doing. And this opportunity came up because I was working on a leadership development program. And one of my close contacts for that was asked to lead this internal project that was really high profile, was looking at structurally at the organization wide going forward. And I asked him, and it's quite funny because I said to him, you know, can I, you know, join the project? You know, you work, I'd love to be involved. It's really interesting you're leading. And he said to me, Dad, I'd love to have you on, but we don't need lawyers. And I said, can I do it as a human being and not as a lawyer on this occasion? <laughs> and he kind of laughed and he said, well, do you, do you mean give up your legal position? I said, not giving up, but just come on secondment. And he was staggered to think. And of course, yes, and the rest is history. But it was really interesting that people don't expect lawyers to step out of that swim lane. And, and I think it was a real lesson for me that, you know, his take and many others is you spent so many years getting to that position that why ever would you spend a year with the business? Well, it was the most interesting year of all. I learned loads. I realized how transferable my skills as being a lawyer were. It was really suited to the qualities that I have. I engaged with leaders across the whole business that I hadn't necessarily done as a lawyer. It was eye-opening in so many ways. And has really been a huge part of why I ended up starting O-shaped exclusively. Yeah, no, and I, I love that. And that's such a good point. So people, if you're in a career at the moment, and you may be feeling, you know, a little bit stuck or, or not sure what to do, just go back and listen to what Dan's advice was there. Because I think it was really, really sage advice, particularly around maybe looking sideways or thinking about something slightly different. And that year, like you said, really gave you extra insights into into the business. And, and obviously, from there, you then progressed up to, to general counsel with Network Rail. So, you know, talk us through that journey. And what responsibilities did you have in delivering that sort of first class legal services to, to support the UK rail network, which is huge? Yeah, I, it, do you know, what's, what's really interesting is that I talk now about how important it is for in house teams to truly understand the business. Now, I'd been a year in the business, and I'd listened to and heard what goes on day to day, what they worry about, what they care about, and just how different and misaligned that was from a lot of what the legal team were doing. And so it became obvious to me when I came back into the legal team, I had that business knowledge that others didn't have. And so that's such an advantage when it comes to engaging with and being much closer to what the business are doing from the outset. Many in-house teams you'll speak to say they're looking at how do you get involved earlier in some of the work their business is doing, because otherwise, when you get involved late, you end up having to come up with things that are seen as blocking. And many in-house teams are seen as blocking, partly because they're involved so late. And I've never been one who can say, I've always rallied against this. It's not our fault because you involved us late. It's how do we get involved early? What's the kind of the opposite of that, You know, the, the positive of that? How do we get ourselves involved earlier? And so when I started as general counsel, we had a team of 25 or so lawyers. It was about saying, how do we use all our skills and knowledge and that, that to help us get involved earlier because we know the business? Let's go and listen to the business. Let's do mini, mini, mini secondments that I did, but just for a day or half a day or a couple of days and learn about and listen to what they do. You're in-house, 
because you're part of the business. Therefore, there is no excuse not to know that business. And for me, that was the biggest shift in mindset that I took the team on, which is we know the law, right? We, we, they expect us to know the law. What they don't necessarily expect us is to be completely au fait and on a level with them on their business understanding. And that was the driver for me. I love that answer. It reminds me back to when one of my mentors said to me very early in my career, Rob, if you're talking, you're not listening and learning. And it's so true. You know, you know, you could be talking, but you're already saying what you know or you think you know, whereas actually listening, really genuinely listening and absorbing the information, you're going to become far smarter, be able to make far greater decisions, build greater levels of relationships. And it's clear, obviously, why you're such a successful JC at time, because you really value the importance of listening to the business and doing the best interest of the business on the information you're acquiring. So let's debug three myths before we go on to talk about the O-shaped lawyer, which I'm super excited about. What three myths about working in-house can you share or debunk from your experiences? Um, that it, I think the first thing is that it's the easy way out. <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> yeah. People think we'll go for the easy life. Uh, let's go in-house and have a cushy number. If you want to hide, I imagine for a period of time you probably could do that in-house. But the reality is that if, like many lawyers, you are ambitious, you want to make something of yourself, it is very, very demanding. Uh, and um, and so don't think that it's a cushy life. Um, I think one of the others is to think that, you know, I'll bust the myth that in-houses uh, aren't technically gifted lawyers and only those who can't make it in private practice go in-house. I think that couldn't be further from the truth. I think there's a recognition in-house that technical knowledge can only get you so far and that in reality, the broader, and we'll look at it as well-rounded or O-shaped in, the, in a minute, those other capabilities and skills is what makes you effective. But that doesn't mean you can get away with being low quality on your technical knowledge. So another really important thing to bust. The role of the lawyer has one client in-house. And of course, in private practice, you have many. And that leads to people having questions over how independent can you be when you are so integrated in the business. And my feeling is that you can be both really great business stroke legal advisors, whilst also maintaining that independence, that duty that you have from a regulatory perspective. So I, I think many who come in think that's going to mean we're going to now somehow have to compromise our regulatory requirements. Not at all. You're a lawyer and therefore you need to be able to combine that requirement of technical excellence and duty to the regulator. But you can do that as well as being a really effective commercial support for the business. So I think they're probably the three I'd highlight now. Yeah, and I think three great points. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. But we must now talk about all things O-Shaped. So in May 2022, you founded O-Shaped. Would you mind explaining what the organization is all about? So yeah, it was probably then when I went into it full time, but it had been around for a few years. And part of that was driven by my experiences as general counsel. And I was just describing then how important these broader capabilities are in order to get to integrate and know the business. And in-house teams are there to help business achieve their objectives, right? And so I wanted to bring people in to the team that had that as a primary objective for them. How can I come into your team, Dan, make your team better, make the outcome for the business better? And what I found was people who came in being very technical and not really thinking about these broader things. And when I started to share my concerns uh, internally and then with peers, we talked about the need for well-rounded capabilities. And that's where O-Shape came from. And what I saw was a number of peers in GC saying we have the same issue. 
We've got people who are technically very strong, but don't have the broader skills, can't integrate with the business, aren't commercial as a result. And we started looking at a small working group of us. Why is it that we've developed people in such a technical way that means they aren't necessarily aligned with the needs of business? And it started with law schools. And I mentioned earlier law schools. You know, when I started looking at this back in 2019, law schools were exactly the same curriculum as they were when I was at Store Street that I mentioned many moons ago. And that seems crazy when you look at how the world has moved on, how the profession has moved on, and yet we're teaching people the same stuff. Utter, utter craziness. And so part of OSHA at that point was to say, surely as a general counsel community, we can have an influence on what law schools are teaching. Because if we're getting people an advice that's overly technical and not business focused enough, we need to get to the source of where that is. And that's why we started looking at law schools. And You know, OSHA kind of started really organically as a movement and it remains a movement for change. But I think it was really that pivotal moment for me when I went to speak at a conference about don't we need to change this? Don't we need to start teaching and developing lawyers to be more well-rounded? And I I offered the opportunity for people to get in touch thinking maybe one or two would and dozens did. So it made me realise, you know what, this is a really, really major issue for the industry. Yeah. And I I just love that you wanted to push change because, you know, I always say the comfort zone is great, but nothing ever grows there. And it's very easy to stay, you know, doing the same thing. And you're absolutely driving this movement that I fully support. And by the way, I'm also Leeds University. It's it's the best place to be. Um, But, you know, you you set up O-Shape based on, you know, 20 years plus of really quality private practice and in-house experience. So you you touched on a bit about the background there, but the vision of O-Shape when you first set, set it up versus how it's developed over the years and and, and might develop. Give some thoughts to that. Time for a short break from the show. Are you looking for a way to get your firm working more efficiently and profitably while ensuring a better work-life balance for your team? Well, if you haven't considered our sponsor, Clio, I'm here to strongly recommend that you do. I absolutely love working with Clio. Not only is it the world's leading legal practice management and legal client relationship management software, it also has a really solid core mission to transform the legal experience for all. Something I personally support. What sets Clio apart for me, it's their dedication to customer success and support. There are lots of legal softwares out there, but I know from talking to Clio users that their support offering is miles ahead of the rest with their 24-5 availability via email, in-app chat, and over the phone. Yes, you can actually call in and speak to someone. Clio is also the G2 crowd leader in legal practice management in comparison to 130 legal practice management softwares and has been for the last 14 consecutive Quarters. G2 Crowd is the world's leading business solutions review website. You can check Clio's full list of features and pricing at www.clio.com forward slash legally dash speaking. That's www.clio.com forward slash legally dash speaking. Now back to the show. I'm all, always been about, Rob, whatever I've done is that it can be better, right? I don't believe in perfect. And unfortunately, we're a profession that thinks perfectionism is something to strive for. And I think that's part of why we have so many challenges around mental health, uh, around the kind of uh, always on long hours culture. So if we can't do perfect, so what do we do that then is um, going to be of the right quality of the right time? And for me, it was about saying, 
you know what? I've seen so much happen in the profession that I think we can do better. And rather than just sit within my own environment, I felt that I'd brought that to Network Rail and our team. Should I go and do that another in-house team somewhere? Or could I bring my experience to a wider audience and see how it landed? And so that kind of ethos of always wanting to do things better um, doesn't mean it's rubbish, right? And that's a really hard thing for people to get. I don't go and say people, you're I'm saying, actually, however good you are, you can always be better. Um, and I've brought that ethos in, I hope, to O-Shape, which is everyone in this industry is doing something that could be improved in some shape or form. And I think as an industry, we are very traditional still in so many ways. So modernizing is another way for me of making things better. And that's certainly not to criticize where people are, but simply to say we're some of the smartest people in any industry anywhere. Why do we just keep our, our brain power to such a small focus of the law when we could have such a big influence across an industry and, in fact, much more broadly across any industry? And I feel that it's incumbent on smart people who come into the profession to have a bigger impact than just on their own wallet. Uh, and that's really part of the driver behind O-Shape. Yeah. And there's a legacy attachment to that as well, you know, in terms of just, you know, just going there and being being a lawyer. You know, what does your legacy want to, to, to be? And I, I want to pick on some points that I really try to hammer home to people on the show. You know, practice makes progress. It doesn't make perfect because perfect doesn't exist. We've talked about that. Done is better than perfect. Perfect never gets done. That can also lead to procrastination, actually stagnation. And then finally, I love that you talk about sort of getting better, because, again, one of my mentors said to me, don't get better, get better. And I think, you know, again, you could easily just, you know, continue to complain about this and this industry is like you're doing things and you're striving to do things better for the profession to ensure that it kind of keeps up with the times and stays ahead of the times. And that's why I'm super excited to dive more into this. Here's a controversial question, potentially. Can anyone become an O-shaped lawyer? thousand percent. Is that enough percentage for you? <laughs> yes. OK. Why? Well, uh, we've we've over the last year or so started to gradually drop the lawyer bit of of o-shaped lawyer because frankly you know as a uh, an organization that's all about trying to give everyone the opportunity to succeed create the environment where people can thrive this isn't just about lawyers and this profession now is so much more than lawyers right you know everywhere you go now in-house teams comprise of experts in a number of different disciplines and fields um Private practice firms now are much broader than the lawyers. And in fact, I think during the, the, the pandemic, people recognized that, that behind the scenes, everyone else that made it happen needs to be recognized much more. So let's just now recognize this is about O-shaped and it's not just lawyers. Now, can everyone do it? I firmly believe they can. And that's because we come from a place of growth mindset. And I don't know whether or not that's something that's featured on your podcast before, but the importance of people recognizing that you can always learn and grow and be better as opposed to we're born with an, a certain level of expertise and knowledge. And once we've achieved it, that's it. Now, in the legal profession, we've kind of gone down this subject matter expert route, which means that people then don't stretch themselves. They don't push out of their comfort zone. Whereas if you're in a, a more creative industry, then people are encouraged to think differently. And, you know, I always say to people when they ask about this, how does O-shape relate to everyone? It's, you know, can you ride a bike? Yes, most people say. Could you ride a bike when you first pick one up? No, right? Had you fallen off several times in trying to learn and ride a bike? Yes. Now that's demonstrating growth mindset, uh, i.e. I couldn't do something. I tried, I practiced, I improved, I can do it. And that mentality is just the same when it comes to O-shape. No one is going to have 
every attribute that we talk about being 100% of the time. Of course you're not. But why can't we strive to be better at all of these things, whether it's communication, whether it's showing courage, whether it's creating value, all really important facets of O-Shape, we can all be better with the right mindset. And that's why we have these five O's of the O-Shape mindset, because if you are of the mind that you want to be better, you can be. If you're of the mind that, you know what, I'm fine where I am, I'm doing all right, I, I can't do that, you know, that horrible word, I can't, as opposed to I can't yet, which is a, another growth approach, then I think you're going to recognize that we end up in a very fixed mindset of an industry. I'm very much in the place where we can get better. Yeah, and I absolutely support that. And I would just add, the information you absorb will shape your career. So the people you hang around, if you hang around a very fixed mindset group of people, you're not going to potentially get exposed to people with a growth mindset. So you need to be around people like Dan, you need to have people in your network. And if you don't have them currently, you need to go and think about actually finding them because there is always a way, there is always a solution, there is something that you can do to to improve. And we're not talking about perfection here. It's about that improvement and step by step. So, so let's let's break down O-shaped even more because there's five valuable skills which comes to the five O's that make the O-shaped lawyer. Being open, taking ownership, being original, being optimistic, and taking opportunities. Would you mind just explaining a little bit more detail on, on each of those? Yeah, of course. So um, the five O's really represent, for me, the mindset piece, right? So the idea of being open is being open to new ways of working, open to new perspectives, being open in the sense of being transparent. And, you know, transparency is something we could all improve in our profession. In no particular order, original. Original for me is being creative, innovative. We talk so much about innovation in the legal profession. Do we really give people the empowerment to start being innovative and genuinely creating new ways, whether that's for your own career or whether that's in our service to our internal colleagues or clients. Opportunities, this is about, you know, we've got to recognize that people, you make and take opportunities. People always used to say to me, you know, uh, oh, I don't get the opportunity to do that. You know, oh, they're so lucky they get that. I think you make your own luck and you make your own opportunities. Get your head up from the parapet, above the parapet, and look out what's out there. There's a world of opportunity. And that's what the, the O for opportunity is. The optimism was really about a lot of what we've been talking about, this kind of positive approach to the way we work. You mentioned happiness. You know, not everyone is by default optimistic. That's okay. But what we're saying is that if you can demonstrate that mindset, then it rubs off on other people and you build connections better, you're able to start seeing that things can be done as opposed to identifying lots of reasons why they can't. And that's inbuilt to the lawyer logic. Let's look at all the reasons why something can't happen. And I think then, you know, the final one of ownership really is about, I suppose, two things. One is taking ownership of your own career. These things, as you well know, Rob, they don't land on your lap. The, 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 the idea that perhaps 20 years ago you could get a training contract, it was much easier than I managed to get one, and then somehow keep going through your career and things would land on your lap. You know, gone. Take responsibility for your career. And the second bit is taking ownership of the advice you're giving. If you're a lawyer, it means you should be more than just a dispenser of knowledge. You should now be recognizing and taking responsibility that your advice has an impact on someone or a business. And if you're not willing to recognize and responsibility and ownership for me brings in the emotional side of what we do, that your advice has a human interaction, connection and impact, then frankly, you're not doing your job properly. So they're the five O's. 
Yeah, and love the breakdown of each of those. I, I just want to sort of talk about self-accountability. I think if you want to be happy in life, successful in life, if you can practice being self-accountable, I remember when someone said to me, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And I think if you can get that into your mindset, it's so, so much easier life. It may not feel comfortable, but taking accountability for everything, even when things go wrong and when things go right, your life will become far, far easier. And I just love all of those O's. So really love what you're doing. And I want to move on to now some of the interviews because you do a lot of high profile interviews. You do a lot of high profile speaking. But in one of your interviews with Thomson Reuters, you stated, and we've touched on this briefly, law schools aren't teaching students to be practicing lawyers in the real professional world. Instead, they are teaching them what the law is and there off you go, try and apply it. So what can law schools be doing to teach students more practical skills ensuring that they're future-proof ready? So uh, lots, and I think there's two ways that we can come at this. One is that O-Shape has partnered with BPP, College of Legal Practice, and Barbary, three of the major law schools. And we're bringing this more well-rounded curriculum to those law schools. So I think there's a recognition from law schools and they're being really proactive saying, you know what, what you did 25 years ago isn't appropriate now. The SQE has come in and people may be familiar that are listening to this about the solicitor's qualifying exam, which has opened up the opportunity to do something a little bit different than just teaching black letter law. And it's also a bit different from what I remember being the skills element of law school, which is around negotiation skills, around research skills, around advocacy skills. There's still kind of quasi-technical legal stuff. What we're talking about human and business skills is really real-world stuff. This is life skills, right? And so whether you're in law or in anywhere else, these skills are completely relevant. And you'll find that much of what we talk about is taught at business schools. You know, and if we're looking at advising clients who are businesses, in the, you know, for many people, also be individuals, but many people are advising businesses, then you've got to know the business world. And yet our response has always been, read the FT. That's how we've talked about commerciality. We've got to start recognizing that business schools teach people how they're going to be able to succeed within business. Why would law schools not do the same? So we've made real progress in terms of embedding O-shaped principles the mindset and attributes into the law schools. And College of Legal Practice has gone one step further and we're actually running a O-shaped lawyer module, which has got many of the different elements that we've been talking about that you would find at business school. And that for me is a massive shift that, you know, I'd like to think without O-shaped it would get there anyway, but I'd like but I'm sure we've accelerated it when it comes to broadening out the curriculum. I would absolutely uh, agree. I, I think it's it's tremendous, and uh, you know, if anything, you know, getting there quicker, smarter, all the things we talk about in the modern world is 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 a plus. So, you know, let's talk about interviews. You know, when going for an interview, do you think recruiters look for potential candidates with O-shaped qualities, and and how can candidates perhaps who might be going for some interviews who want to demonstrate those qualities in interviews do that? So, I, th- I so yes is the very short answer to that question. I think that what we're finding is. As the profession is coming under more pressure and has been for years to be much more open in terms of how we recruit, who we recruit, representative of a wider society, I think we're actually bringing in people who are much more well-rounded in terms of their approach. Now, that sounds really positive, but it comes with a but. And that is, and one GC said to me, um, and now this is coming to controversial, one GC said to me recently that, Private practice is taking well-rounded people and flattening them. 
And I kind of thought about that and thought, you know what? We do recruit people into our profession who are pretty well-rounded, actually. I look at now some of the trainees that are coming through. So much capability and talent. Incredible depth of now different experiences they've been through. Very different to my day when I went through school, university, straight into job. Actually, people have got an amazing CV now. So we are encouraging people to now have other talent. So where's this breaking down? And for me, part of that is, you know, we're bringing these fabulously talented people in. The top, top percent of people in terms of talent come into the profession, and yet we use them in such a narrow way. And, and it's such a shame. I think we've got people in the profession that will change the world if they didn't go into the legal profession. And now they're struggling even to change their clothes because they can't get out of the office at night. Now, that for me is such a shame. We're kind of really, you know, hiding the talent that's coming in. And I come back to this. Are we flattening it? Uh, potentially, yes. Yeah. But, you know, are people like you trying to change that? Yes. You know, looking at it from the other side. So I think, you know, there is an absolute need for what you're doing. And you think about in a short space of time since, you know, 2022, what's already been achieved and the universities that you're working with and, you know, just in, in five, 10 years. And that probably leads to one of my, my sort of closing questions for you. You know, what are the future plans for the O-Shaped? You know, do you have other events, other things people should be knowing and hearing about? Tell us tell us about the future. So we, we want to work cross-industry. I've always felt that's important, that connectivity between law schools, law firms and in-house, particularly in the UK, is there and I think we're one of the only ones that have really seen the 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 power of collaboration across all of them. So we will continue to work with all of them and making sure that people are much more practice ready when they go to law firms. Then this brings us to this question of how can we help law firms become more O shaped? Now we've been very lucky we've now had a year or so with Brown Jacobson, our first partner law firm. Amazing. These are people who genuinely are embedding O shaped into the fabric of their DNA. And now we're more recently with Denton's, which is the biggest law firm in the world by number. Amazing now and a massive boost for O-Shape, but also a real statement from Denton's that recognizing the power that bringing your people on board will have to achieving their latest stretch strategy. So the law firm side is important and we'll want to identify and work with other law firm partners who are looking to move forward in a way that O-Shape's talking, you know, much more people-first approach, because that has an impact on, ultimately, profitability. And making that connection is so important to us. Brilliant Marriott quote that I often use, which is, take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers, and your customers will come back. Get it right with the people bit, and your customers will keep coming back. And so that's the approach we're trying to bring to life with our partner law firms. And then in-house, for me, are the fuel that is all about O-Shape, right? If the in-house community that spends the £50 billion a year that we spend on legal service in the UK, if they are pushing this, then the change will come because they're the ones who are spending the money. So we want to work cross-industry. We've got events that we'll continue to be able to do with all aspects of the profession. We are developing further our future board, which is made up of incredible talent from paralegals, apprentices, newly qualified, in-house juniors, in-house private practice. These are people who represent now the generation coming through who do want something different. That future board is going to become massively influential, I think, over the next 12 to 18 months. And we'll continue the campaign for change at the same time, I hope, as working with some of the most progressive in-house teams and law firms who will ultimately drive the change. Because 
there isn't enough of a burning platform at the moment for change. So we're looking at lighting safe, but uh, sensible fires to make sure that that burning platform does happen. Yeah, no, and, and it absolutely will, you know, just from your own drive, dedication, passion, and, you know, what you know of the industry, and as I say, what you've already achieved in, in a relatively short space of time. And you make such a good point. You know, I always say to people, if you're hiring people, your business is your people, you know, so making sure that they're happy and making sure that, you know, it's it's a positive, you know, happy people tends to lead to profitable businesses as well, that they are quite directly linked. And uh, yeah, everything you're doing, you know, is so, so, so important. So finally, what advice would you give to aspiring or junior lawyers who may want to become O-shaped lawyers? Get as much different experience as you can. Really look at your network and building that work, network out into different people and communities. One of the real challenges we've got in our profession is too many of the people who lead have only ever known law, have only ever known their firm. And that means we have a very narrow set of perspectives from a leadership perspective. I really want people to come in with this range of different skills and talents. So go out and explore, right? Be curious. Ask that why question. And, you know, alongside, you know, that in many respects is the sign of someone who is on their way to being O-shaped. If they're prepared to ask, why do we do it this way? Um, that inquisitive mind makes a big difference. I think the other thing is, you know, think about the different areas in the profession that you could play a role in. You know, the giving of the law advice now the legal advice whilst it's clearly been the main thing in the profession over the last decades and decades that anyone cares to remember let's not forget that technology is going to play a big role over the next decade or so within the profession if not sooner now think about what that is and then think about how can you play a role now that's speaking to your passion that might not be giving pure legal advice but is in the legal sphere because there are going to be so many jobs in the legal sphere now about service delivery that you can play a part in. So don't be wedded to the idea, I have to be a M&A lawyer and that's my career. Actually, if you're interested in the legal industry, there are loads more options now, so explore them. Yeah, and that's what excites me as well. And, you know, we all know Richard Suskins and his prediction books and, you know, some of the what the roles look like in terms of legal process energy engineers and legal innovators and all of these other roles that, you know, if you're just interested in law or, you know, potentially shaping the future of the world and, you know, things like that, there's going to be so many exciting roles. Like you say, it doesn't just have to be that M&A, you know, lawyer route. There's so many different routes that you can think about and explore and technology is absolutely going to play a huge impact. So, Dan, this has been fascinating discussion and if our listeners which i'm sure a lot of them will want to learn more about o-shaped or the o-shaped lawyer where can they find out so our website oshape.com tells you lots more about what we do and how we bring this to life for people always feel free to in, to email us at info oshape.com we will get back in touch because we recognize our community is everything and please keep an eye out for some of the events so we can sign up to our newsletter We've got events happening on the 9th of May with the College of Legal Practice. It's an online free event. On the 23rd of May with Thomson Reuters, we're doing an event about human leadership and that being the biggest innovation in the law. Check that out. So all in all, there's loads happening. Just keep an eye out. Yeah, absolutely. Lots and lots of things to uh, get excited about. So make sure you definitely follow The O-Shape Lawyer and Dan as well. Dan, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I've really, really enjoyed today's discussion. So wishing you wishing you lots of continued success with The O-Shape, your future pursuits. But for now, from all of us on the show, over and out.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like the content here, why not check out our world-leading content and collaboration hub, the Legally Speaking Club, over on Discord. Go to our website, www.legallyspeakingpodcast.com for the link to join our community there. Over and out.